1: I'm Bob McCowan, that's John Shannon, and this is the Bob McCowan podcast on uh, Sirius XM channel one six seven and your favorite podcast provider. Uh we are saddened today. Um we lost a friend. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest with you, um, shockingly, uh, I was not aware, and I don't think you were aware, John.
2: Well, no, uh, Bob, Eugene's, not at
1: all. Um illness. We do not at this hour know exactly what the cause of his his passing was, but we can suspect it related to the liver transplant he had a few years ago. We don't know that for certain. Um, it was quite ironic that, uh, I left him a phone message on Sunday asking him to come on the program. Uh, it had been a little while.
2: He had promised me, uh, at the end of January, he, he literally said, John, give me six weeks and we'll come on. Yeah. And so and we it was passed about six weeks, weeks
1: and, yeah. and, and then, and so I, I literally, I left him a message on Sunday, hmm. having no idea. Um, we're going to talk uh, a bit about, um, Eugene Melnick, what his image and, and lasting image will be. And, um, what we experienced, uh, with this man, we're going to do that. Um, but first. Some reflections on a, an extraordinary Sunday in Toronto as the Canadian national soccer team blitzed Jamaica for nothing, qualified for the World Cup in Qatar, and uh, can't think of a guy who has uh, more experience with the national team. Uh, Bob Lenarduzzi, former coach and player with Canada's national team, now uh, associated, affiliated with uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps in the uh, MLS. Bob Lenarduzzi will join us. McCowan and Shannon back uh, with you. Um, we're joined by a familiar face and voice to uh, those who have been uh, soccer fans for a long period of time. Bob Leonarduzzi, the former uh, player with Canada's national team coach, and um, has had a variety of uh, influence in this sport over the years. But uh, 88 was pretty good, but uh, not 86. quite or 86 rather yeah but uh not quite like this mr lenarduzzi was it
3: no this was uh magnified um by a thousand times it i actually having been through it and qualified in 86 and we did it in newfoundland in front of seven thousand people um very passionate people but the this this one uh is is fitting of the, the era that we're in and uh great crowd at Bemo Field and uh the emotion of the players after the match was evident. Some of them were uh shedding tears and it's a big moment for the game and it's it's almost uh a launch pad to uh greater growth for the
2: sport of soccer in Canada. So Bobby Go ahead, Bobby, Bob. w- Go ahead, John. Bobby, what? When you were watching this game, I don't think there was any doubt that Canada was no. going to beat Jamaica. Yeah, but how did your emotions change, and how did your emotions grow as the game went on? Uh, you start off always. I mean, the,
3: the my telltale sign is even though I'm I'm not involved, the butterflies start long before kickoff, and then you kick off, and you know that it. There, it would have to be a total collapse not to get through. But nevertheless, you're still you're still uncertain, and you're not you're not confirmed to to go to Qatar yet. And then, as the game went on after the first five minutes, I just thought, okay, it's just going to be a matter of time before we score because we just had so much uh, dominance in terms of uh, passing possession and 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 possession in dangerous areas. And, and then, as the game wore on, I realized. It was it was going to happen. It was just a question of getting that first goal. We got that fairly early, and then after that, it 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 was in cruise control. And then you're just waiting for the final whistle to go to officially confirm that you're going to Qatar.
1: John Herdman is the head coach. Is um, appears to be some kind of soccer Houdini. <laughs> Um, uh uh, and, and, and everything he touched seems to turn to gold for lack of a better term. He's Did a very, see, oh, sorry. So, Go ahead. No, well, I was going to ask you, was there a point where you saw the future of Canadian soccer really taking a step in the right direction? Was it before
3: Herdman? Uh, well, when you, when. And we are the beneficiaries of having had Alfonso Davies with us from a very young age, and and then having sold him on to Bayern Munich. When that kind of player starts to 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 come through the system, and Jonathan David's another, um, then you're starting to produce players who can go to any level and and have an impact those two are or Davies in particular is one of the best left backs in the world. And we've never had that before. So the, the players were starting to come through the pipeline and John did, did wonders with the women's program. And a lot of, there, there were a few people that suggested, well, a women's coach coming to the men's game. I never doubted him. I, if he adopted all the principles that he did with the women uh, that were, that were not necessarily soccer related, but just building the infrastructure, um, then on the men's side, then we would have success. I was reminded yesterday, I did an interview and, uh, somebody pulled out a, a quote that I'd had from 2018. And it was, it was, uh, it was a doom and gloom type interview. And the guy said, when will we ever qualify for the world cup? I said, we'll qualify in 2022. I think Herdman's, um, uh, coming across to the men's side is uh, is something that will benefit the program greatly, and then the, the again the players coming through the system, it's 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 a perfect storm. We should never and and we're we're part of co-hosting in twenty twenty six, which is exciting as well. But we should never not qualify for another World Cup. And I, when I say that, something may happen along the way through through one of the qualifying processes. But you know, we should always be. Um, representing CONCACAF, one of the countries representing CONCACAF, plus it goes to 48 countries Mm -hmm. in 2026, and at that point, we're going to have another couple of spots in CONCACAF.
1: Well, I'm sure, with no disrespect intended, I'm sure... The Italians are um, <laughs> are pondering your message that well we should never not qualify.
3: <laughs> yeah, two, two in a row. but but the, the irony of their uh, of their demise as far as World Cup qualifying is concerned, it's sandwiched between a Euro title, and that just doesn't make any sense. So None it's, whatsoever. It's crazy, really.
2: crazy. Yeah. What what is it about Herdman? Uh, you know, those of us fr- on the outside. Uh, don't, un, you know, coaches or coaches. What is it that this guy, what is the magic that this guy has, uh, that he can galvanize a group of, you know, high profile guys that are making lots of money, mm-hmm. uh, that what, what, what does he do that ma- makes him different than previous coaches? Uh,
3: well. I think we've had some good previous coaches saying that because I was one of them, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think what John brings to the table is he brings an infectious type of approach and a positive approach and uh, his attention to detail in terms of um, set plays or, or, uh, match preparation. He will make sure that everything both on and off the field is exactly what it needs to be. So that when those players step out onto the field, they have nothing to worry about other than following the game plan, uh, tactically he's, and he's done it in games and he did it in particular in the the United States game early on, he he will actually change formations. And most of the time you change formations from game to game. Uh, In his case, he'll change a formation 30 minutes in if he doesn't like the look of what's going on, or it may even be predetermined. And that's something that you really need to work at uh, so that the players understand okay, we've gone out with a certain game plan and 30 minutes in, we're changing it. And, so, and, and every player understands exactly what their role is in that, uh, in that process. The other thing that he does, and this isn't, this isn't technically related, is he, he demands a buy-in that's all in. And so when they're adopting a press in a game and they're trying to, to, to push as high up the field as they can when they don't have the ball... Everybody knows exactly where they need to be, and then that's. there's times where that's worked to perfection, and then there's times where he's pulled the press off. But every player, if you were to ask them, I'm sure will tell you before they step out onto the field, they are, are, they are completely aware of what their responsibilities are.
1: There was hope at the beginning of this process that Canada could get in. Legitimate hope. I mean, there's mm-hmm. hope. Hope is a funny word because you always have hope, but Mm -hmm. there was a real sense that they could get in. There was no sense that I got from anybody that they were going to steamroll the opposition (laughs) the way they have. And they have, they have literally crushed this group take away the Costa Rica game. And this team is, uh, is essentially unblemished and, and they've done it with, with offense as much as defense and that too, is shocking because you think of a country that hasn't been to a world cup in 30 plus years you'd think well let's play conservatively let's try and win win every game one nothing just keep the biscuit out of our own basket Mm -hmm. they haven't played that way can you explain it
3: um well I, i i i it, it, the the way that the qualifying evolved and because of our our ranking it's, i think at one point we were close to 100 um when john took over and now we're 33 and probably going to bounce up higher which would benefit the the whole what pot we're in uh scenario but i i think that that when you look at how it evolved early on we were we were steamrolling countries which we should have been because we were playing Uh, Antigua and all these islands because of our less, lesser ranking. So we needed to, to get through that, which was inevitable that we would. It's ironic because if you recall, I think it was the the second game against Honduras at BMO field. We actually drew that game one, one and Honduras scored first. And at that point in my head, I was thinking, well, there's going to be a transition from beating up on teams uh, regularly to now understanding that it's there's the opposition is going to be more difficult, but that for there was a hiccup early on, but that didn't last long. And then as they were familiarizing themselves with the the quicker pace of the game and and all that comes with playing against tougher opposition, uh, they just adapted and uh, were were are being dominant in most of the games. I mean, ironically enough, you say in Costa Rica, which is is accurate, we lost, but down to ten men, and we're pummeling them where in the second half, they can't get out of their end. And that's another great example of confidence is he was subbing players on that were attacking players and and just going for it. And we were very unlucky not to win that game. But I just think that there's been a long enough period of time and early on to have those games where you know you're going to win and you can work out the kinks in your system and then get to the, the real opposition in the octagon.
2: The interesting thing about, about this team, though, is there was always stories behind the scenes that there was there was tons of egos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, how, this seems to be the magic that he has, that, that Herdman has. He's been able to take all these egos and make them one. Uh, I mean, hey, how many, how many players has he played through this tournament? Over 30. 38, yeah. 38,
3: 38 players. That's another telltale sign that uh, you know, we're in a different era right now. Because when we went to the World Cup in, in 1986, mm-hmm. um, Tony Waiters had 22 players uh, go. And ironically enough, there weren't many more beyond that that you could seriously say we're going to make an impact on the squad. This squad is much different. And we're unearthing players um, as we go along. Uh, we got the uh, kid, Ike Ugbo, from former Chelsea player, who he's convinced with a dual nationality to come and play for Canada. And there's probably more like that.
2: Well, there! And by the way, and I don't have to remind you, they were in the old days, it was other countries convincing guys <laughs> with two passports to go play for them, not play for us, right?
3: No, exactly. And the whole, it, it's all changed. And um, the next four years, uh, I think, Will will provide a more significant growth in our game. There's been growth when you look at MLS, CPL, and you look at what ha- what's happening in MLS with um, with uh, I believe it's 28 teams now, and and cities clamoring to get in and, and right. paying seven eight hundred million to get in. So the, the 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 game isn't going away at the professional level now. It's just going to get better and better, and um, and and we have timed it right, if, if you can suggest that, because 36 years is a long time not to, to get to a World Cup and not get there again, but we've timed it right now so that um, all the stars align, and uh, my what I'm looking forward to is the friendlies that take place in between now and Qatar mm. and excited to see what kind of opposition we can play against. Then Qatar. Qatar is going to be fascinating because – uh, I I'm I would li- I would like to manage expectations on John's behalf, and not that it, it, he's asked me to do that. But you know, going to the World Cup is a hell of a lot different to, uh, and the quality of opposition you're going to get there is is a lot different to what we get in CONCACAF. Uh, having said all that, because we steamroll through the group, uh, you, you have to feel confident going in that that uh, you can get a result. My expectation of, of success would be if we get out of the first round. I think that should be viewed as, as success. And then beyond that, you've got single game knockout and anything can happen at that point. The one thing that I do want to suggest, because you've got a big audience, is if anybody thinks for the casual fan that is now maybe jumping on the bandwagon because we're going to the World Cup, if they're thinking we're going to win it, I need to, to let them know that uh, that's that's likely not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, um, the expectation is a little different than 86 when I think oh. we were off. We would have been happy that you scored a goal, right? But you didn't.
3: <laughs> There's no doubt about it. And ironically enough, I, I still get reminded to this day um, because uh, the bookies were giving really good odds. They didn't. No one thought we'd score a goal. So if you put some money down, your return was pretty good. I had the best chance to score in that tournament against Russia in the final game. And uh, I was in the six-yard box. The ball actually landed at my feet, and I took a swipe at it, and I hit the turf before I hit the ball, and it was a feeble effort. Um, but I get reminded about that <laughs> to this day from people that say, you cost me money.
1: <laughs> in this sport, uh, coaches are often categorized in advance as being offensive or defensive um, in mindset and approach. What is, where is Herdman? Is he a coach who loves offense or is, what is he?
3: He's pragmatic. He loves offense, but he's not going to go in and attack you. If he knows that, that uh, in doing so you're leaving yourself exposed to the back end. So, and that's what I, I, I've enjoyed watching throughout the process. For example, I mentioned the United States game early and they went there. I think it may have been the third or fourth game. So it was early in, in the, the octagon and they set up by, actually pressing the uh, the Americans in their backyard and then then a little while into the game he pulled the press back and so i think he'll do what he needs to do the most important thing to i think um, uh, note is that he he will determine how he plays Not necessarily based on the opposition. He's not going to sit back and just soak up pressure for ninety minutes and hope you can get a a counter attack and score like Northern Macedonia um, against the Italians. But he will he will look at it and he will decide how he wants to play and and will change it around in a match. So I think by nature he wants to attack. He wants to go and win the game on the basis of the merits of his squad. Having said all that, sometimes you have to acknowledge that maybe. You know, you go in as the underdog and you have to approach it a little bit more cautiously.
1: Does he play a style that is commonly played at this level? In other words, it seems to me that that this team gets a lot of its offense out of breakouts out of their own defensive zone, long passes that materialize and 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 more than just setting up in the offensive zone and yeah. executing there. I assume there's some deliberate that's that must be deliberate because it happens with great regularity, isn't it?
3: Yes. And, and again, in, in some cases, it depends on the quality of the opposition. Sure. Uh, for example, you've got you've got Jonathan David. You've got uh, Tejan Buchanan. You've got Alfonso Davies when he was playing. You got three guys that have track stars or track runners pace. And mm-hmm. so if if you've got room in behind their back four, then that's something that you definitely want to exploit. So it really depends on how the opposition plays. I mean, the irony is the pace didn't matter all that much in Costa Rica because – they were they were so far back. There was there was eleven men within thirty yards of their goal, so there was sure, no sure. space to attack in behind. So and and that's a good example of how did they play that game. Well, they they were they were cautious. They went around the back. They took their time and they waited for that right opportunity to uh, to attack when there was there was the space that had materialized. So, um, I, I I and I think again that goes back to to John's strength, which is we're not going to play one way and, and assume that that's going to get us results. We're going to look at what the, the, the situation dictates as a result of the opposition we're playing against and adjust to that. But again, and I don't want to, I don't even want to suggest for a minute. He's, he's, we're very good defensively. Every player works their ass off. They know that they need to do that. And he's instilled that in them. But at the same time, if you were to ask John, I'm sure he'd say, "How do you how if, if you didn't have to worry about the opposition, other than they were there were stick men out there? How would you play?" I and I'm sure he'd say,
2: "I just want to go at them, score as many goals as we can, make it exciting for the fans." But really, Bobby, isn't that the difference between Canada over the last couple of decades? Is we always could play a little bit of defense, we could always be good defensively. It's the offensive side of the game that has changed for our country. Correct.
3: Correct and again, credit to the coaching staff. But when you have a player like Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David and Tejon Buchanan, Tejon Buchanan has come out of nowhere. Like, and right. when when John started up the qualifying process, he was just kind of finding his way. Against Costa Rica on the weekend, he he played like like uh, Alfonso, like he was tearing them apart. So I I, I think that John's instincts are to attack. But now, now there are the horses there that that can actually get that done for you.
1: Well, the other guy that needs to be mentioned in that context, if you're talking about offense, is Kyle Larin, who's oh
3: yeah, who yeah. you
1: know, can certainly put the biscuit in the basket, as they mm-hmm. say. Yeah, you know, he has that skill set.
3: Yeah, and he's had it from the time he uh, he came out of out of Ontario and uh, was drafted by Orlando. He started scoring early there, and uh, and then. There were some issues between him and the club, and, and then he ended up going abroad. It took him a while, but uh, the, the Turkish club that he's at, mm-hmm. he's scoring on a regular basis, and they're they're regularly in Champions League, and, and that's, again, uh, something else. You, your you're, Your best players are playing in leagues where they're getting matched up against the best players in Europe, which maybe not from a World Cup perspective, but all the best players go to Europe, whether it's from South America. I mean, they start off in certain places and they go there. So that's the melting pot. And our players are getting that experience on a week in, week out basis.
2: You you mentioned a name w- earlier in the conversation. And I actually thought of it on Sunday and and wondered uh, what would the late Tony Waiters think? <laughs> Tony, Tony Waiters
3: will be looking down right now and be very, very happy. He uh and I think in general, he'd look at the um, the state of the game now uh, versus where it was then. I mean, th- there's a quick story I'll tell you about Tony Waiters. When we qualified in, in 86, the NESL folded in 1984. There was two years where <laughs> some of the players weren't playing at clubs. And the better ones, were the, not the better ones, the ones that were in Europe were getting that. But that was maybe a third of the players. Tony had to had to put together a program where we made trips abroad just to get the guys playing time. And to do that, he had to go to the CSA and say, Hey, I need money. I need Mm -hmm. money to get these guys ready so that we can get to the world cup. And um, that happened. And the CSA was in debt. Had we not qualified for the world cup, the CSA was was in danger of going bankrupt, but he convinced the, the then president at that time, Jim Fleming to do it. And uh, and and he reaped the benefits as, as a result of that. It's uh, even my situation in the build up to 80, 86, I was playing indoor soccer. I played a qualifying match against Haiti in Victoria, and then I flew back to Tacoma and played an indoor game that night. And I scored. I, I should should say as well. So, but what kind of preparation is that, or what kind of of uh, of, of of you know. Uh, type of, of quality of preparation is that it's not. So we're in a whole different era now.
1: Uh, Bob Leonarduzzi is uh, with us. The uh, former uh, coach and player for uh, Canada's national soccer team. will continue the conversation.
0: That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at hashirenew.com.
1: Bob McCowan, John Shannon with you on the podcast today and on the radio show on Sirius XM with uh, Bob Lenarduzzi today. Um, I don't think lost on anybody is the fact that um, Canada closed this out without... Almost, inarguably, their most well certainly their most exciting player, and probably their best player, in Alfonso Davies. Is there any doubt in your mind that he'll be ready for um, for Qatar?
3: It's hard for me to to really say with conviction. I'm I'm assuming so. If I if I I'm uh, what I'm hearing is is that he will be ready. Having said that, he was supposed to be ready uh, for this this uh, these three games that. That are, they're currently playing exactly. right now. So, anytime it's related to the heart, you worry about it. But um, I, 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 without any any real um, ammo that I can I can suggest, I have. I, I my hope is that that he is, and I. If you look at him and you look at how invested he's been, you know, in the games, even the games that he hasn't been in, um, he seems he seems quite
2: uh lively and optimistic so hopefully that's a good sign you know him well um what was did you know when he was 16 and playing for the whitecaps that he was going to be the player he is he came to us at 14
3: and he was playing in the u16s uh first of all we had to convince his mom to let him come here and uh and and i think it, it speaks to to um to the humble nature that he has. Like he's just a really, really nice guy. Even with all the success, I haven't spoken to him uh, since then, but since he left, but I, I, I don't think that he would have changed any. I don't see even in his interactions with people that he has done, but came to us at 14, uh, played in the U15 team within two or three games, too good for that. Moved up to the U17s. Same thing. He was just torching people, goes to the reserve team, a handful of games and he's gone to the first team. So he was in the first team at, I think, 15, maybe 16. And the, what was interesting is that every level that he went to, he wasn't just another player. Even from the first game that he played at the next level, he was a difference maker and he was just flying by people. And, and so when he gets sold to, to Bayern Munich, I'm thinking to myself, okay, now that's a big leap. You're going to one of the best clubs in the world and presumably it'll take you time to get in. It didn't take him long. Like he, I, I think it was within a half a season and then he hit the ground running again. He was one of their best players. So his ceiling, he hasn't got one. Like he's he's just able to get better and better. And we saw that in in qualifying. I mean, there was a significant moment against Panama when right. he turned on the, the afterburners and the guy thought it was going out and, and he gets there and then he goes on and scores. What was a critical goal at that time? Because that was a Panama team that actually had us, that, that were out possessing us at that time. And, and it was a kind of against the run of play, but it took our best player to lift others on his shoulders and get us there.
1: What Describe, if you can, his skill set. What is it that he
3: does best? well the, the he the, there there's a difference between having pace and and using it than just having pace if players are quick but they're straight ahead you can defend that i mean you you need to you need to make sure your your position well in his case he has speed and and i used to think early on when he came to us he would and it happened way too often for it to be anything uh, other than by design like he would knock if he had space in front of me knock the ball out out in front of him and open his legs and get going and and a lot of times defenders would come across and he'd knock it that far ahead that the the defender would think okay i can go and win this and they go to ground they slide in and they're assuming they're going to win it and then he turns on that that the afterburners, he gets there, he takes a little touch and the guy's on his ass and he's running away from him. That happens regularly. And I've seen him do it at, at Bayern Munich in champions leagues games against very good defenders, but he just has, he has the ability to beat you with pace directly. He can jink and uh, wrong foot you and go by you. And when he was with us, the thing that he needed to improve was the quality of his crossing. That's happened. Like when he gets into those areas where it requires a good ball into the box. He's doing that, and uh, the the Bayern uh, strikers are, are the beneficiaries of that. So, and the other thing is, he he a lot of forwards you know, would prefer not to defend in the in the the era that we're in. You have to like you, you need to go forward. But even if you just make yourself a nuisance defending, then you need to do that. He. Seems to like defending, and and will do what he needs to do in
2: order to get the ball back. So he's he's the complete package. Do we run the risk of talking too much about Davies at the expense of all the others?
3: Um, yeah, we do absolutely because the the supporting cast or, and I shouldn't even refer to them as supporting cast. They are a team and John will, will ensure that, you know, everybody uh, has, a, has the, the same importance to the group that that uh, Alfonso does or a Jonathan David does. Um, but, and on that note, I'll take this opportunity to to talk about Milan Borian and, and the, sure. the defenders and, and, you know, pre-tournament, I, th- that was kind of a, you know, were we going to be good enough at the back? And, and you look at guys like an Alistair Johnson, who, who is a solid player, but he appears to have gone to the next level uh, of, of qualifying and upped his game. And others have as well. Stephen Vittoria, um, Sam Atacubi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's, he has been unbelievable. He was uh, the, the flair that he's shown the goal that he scored against the Americans where he took off from the halfway line and finished it clinically just like a striker. I mean, there's, there's, there aren't any real weak areas in the group right now. Um, we're going to find out against better opposition. If in fact, you know, there we may get exposed in some areas, but right now everybody I'm sure is feeling very confident about uh, about this this journey that they'll now embark on to, to the World Cup in Qatar in November and December, um, and it's going to be a very exciting moment for them.
2: What, what is the role of in, in the growth of this game? You touched on it a bit earlier about what MLS has contributed, what the Premier, the Canadian Premier League has contributed. Um, are, are we are we going to see another growth spurt of the game in our country? Because there's tons of kids that play play the game. Mm-hmm. In our country, I mean, the, the yeah. amount of, of soccer players in our country is oh. staggering. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 but but it's to get to the next level. Is this, do you see this as someone who's been involved in the game so long that, uh, that this could vault uh, the program even higher?
3: I don't think there's any doubt about it. It's going to happen. It, it's going to, uh, before we get to that. The other major benefit that we don't talk about very often, but that John has harped on from the time he took over is get to the world cup and you get a big payday. Like it's, it's, it's in the millions and it's enough that you can put that back into your program. So if you're qualifying for every world cup, I think it's around 15 million that that they're talking about, and it's actually on a per game basis. So if you go further, then you make more money. But that that's the thing that we've been lacking. We haven't we we get the Sport Canada money, uh, and then generate you know through gate receipts, which has been minimal. But there hasn't been a the money to to um, to invest in the game, as far as as the game in general goes. And I've always said we never have to worry about. How we're doing recreationally in soccer because we've the numbers are, are as you said they're 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 staggering. They're going to get greater. What we mm-hmm. need to do now is, is maybe there's that that kid out there that's a very good hockey player um, mm-hmm. and is not really thinking about soccer. Maybe he watches that game and he sees if you're a good enough player within Canada and Alfonso Davies has proven it, and so has um, Jonathan David, and so has Taysom Buchanan. You can go abroad and you can make very, very good money. So um, we've never really had that—that that, uh, the ability to compete with NHL. I think if a player was a good athlete, good soccer player, good hockey player, he's going that way. So um, I, I feel like that there will be a, uh, a significant uplift in the game. And the best part is is four-year window. Like mm-hmm. Qatar is great, but for four years mm-hmm. after that, the world's coming to us. Yeah. So we in between in between 2022 and 2026, it's the, the the interest in the game is going to be huge, and we can capitalize that f- from that um, through through just ensuring that we continue to get the infrastructure
2: of the professional game right. So, so you, that, you, you bring up an interesting point, and we've talked about this in the past. Organizationally, is the CSA ready for it? Uh, I mean, cause you, 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 cause you touched on hockey so yeah. much of the success of hockey in our country. Now it points back to, to what hockey Canada has done mm-hmm. and, uh, on the business side and, uh-huh. and, and their program of excellence and yeah. the amount of money they're able to generate, to put back into programs, but it took a long time in hockey to do it properly. It took, it took decades yeah. to do it properly. Yeah. It, is, is soccer ready to do that?
3: I think soccer is ready to do that. And I, and I believe the MLS clubs are a good example of that. In that, the CSA were were um, pre MLS were were the ones that that delivered the elite training, for want of a better expression, for those players that were good enough. But they didn't have the money to invest to do it properly, and that's not a knock on them; they just didn't have it. So they now have relationships with the MLS clubs. Like they don't, in terms of player development in British Columbia, like we do it. Mm-hmm. they've said okay you do it and uh, you've got the re- you got the financial resources you've got the uh, the the physical resources the training facilities so you do it and and you know they'll focus their their efforts on on everything beneath that and up and they' what's starting to happen is there if, if our owner when he got involved in 2003 and his his son is uh, Alex Kerfoot. Kerfoot, Kerfoot. Yeah. He, he said to me, what what kind of infrastructure do we have at that time? I said, well, we don't have any. He said, so how does a player get from playing youth soccer to our club? he said, there's no real set way. The CSA are involved in it. We're involved in it. Private academies are involved. So players and parents of players are getting tugged in different directions. That's not happening so much anymore. The, I think the the structure is a lot clearer. And with this next four years and the boom in the game, I think the structure will get better and better. And then, of course, you know, you talk about the men's side. Then there's the women's side. You know, all, there's talk now of, of potentially a a, a Canadian professional league. Yeah, and that would be fantastic, given you know what what they've done, winning a, a gold medal at the the Olympics. So it's not just the men's game. I think our sport is 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 at a point where it can it can really accelerate the evolution of our sport
1: one of the intriguing things we talked about this um earlier in the week bobby um historically the fan base the soccer fan base in canada and there are plenty of people who love soccer and and have loved the game put your hand
2: up bob put your hand up Bob. (laughs) the ethnic (laughs) groups (laughs) well
1: that's what i'm talking
2: about Uh
1: uh-huh and one of the issues that we've had um, in this country is this division between the history of the family and where, where they're from and, and rooting for the team that they, that dad rooted for or granddad rooted for, great-granddad, et cetera, and then Canada. And we've seen situations where there were friendlies between, um, you know, a Canadian team and a Greek <laughs> team or an Italian team. And, guess everybody's rooting for the, the, the opposition. Um, does this change that, in your opinion?
3: I think it will. And it's just a great example of what you've just referenced. We played a, a World Cup qualifier at Varsity Stadium to go to the World Cup in 1994 against Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, Toronto, that's a good place to, p- to play. I, I think we're going to get a, a pro-Canadian crowd. I, we came out onto the pitch like an hour before the kickoff, and it was a sea of green and white. like <laughs> it was it was all Mexican fans. so there's there's no doubt and and I, I talk to people now um, of, of different uh, ethnic origins and they're, they're, they're definitely for sure taking notice now and Alfonso has helped in that regard. It used to be that if if you talked about you know even even our, our the club side, the white caps if you talk about them and you're talking to Italians or English, there, there was a segment of them that would say, Psh, that's crap. Like, I'm no. not going to watch that. And they just don't even give it a chance. And that's unfortunate. But I, I do think that as a result of our national team, you know, having the success they've had, and probably if you, if you really um, isolate that group and you look at, at uh, the Americans and the Mexicans, we should have beaten the Mexicans in Mexico. We were the better team there we beat them here. The, the Americans were, you know, we, we played in Nashville and we were the better team on, on the park. So if people want to look at that as a barometer and say, Whoa, like they finished top of the group and they manhandled two of the better countries in CONCACAF. And I think Mexico's in the top 15. So what's going to happen is we're, we're going to get, we're just by virtue of, of how well we we're doing and, Ideally, continue to do. I think we're going to change that um, that that around, and I think we'll get uh, you know the Italians and and uh, the English, and they'll be supporting, ideally supporting wherever they come from, but also uh, you yeah. know, where they live. And and in that you know, in that regard, I, I think of TFC. One of the things we did before we started up in MLS was we went there and we talked to them. And said ah, you know, how did you guys? hit this 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 market at which all these these uh, ethnic groups out there and they said what we did was we said look we, we actually engaged it head on they said we said to them do not stop supporting wherever you come from please continue to do that and we don't want you not to do that but you have an opportunity to come to a pitch and be a part of that soccer atmosphere on a weekly basis. And mm-hmm. I think they actually, they made headway with that because I think people can understand. Yeah. I love, I love my, my country. I love my club team for my country, but I can do that in my backyard as well. I can support as many teams as I want.
1: The other question I have is what influence might this have on players from around the world coming to MLS? Yeah. If at all,
3: I think that that's, that, that's already started. Like, and what we're starting to see now is less of the. And, and I'm not being critical of, of of any player, but more so the the age of the player. You know, when when New York City came into the league, they they had Lampard, they had Pirlo, mm-hmm. uh, and and those players they could still play. There's no question, but they were at the tail end of their careers. And if I look back to the old NASL days, it's probably one of the things that hurt us the most. It was we were spending all this money on the the, the players that we thought would put bums in seats, they didn't. And we weren't any better off and we hadn't produced any more North American players. So it, it's um, I think we, what we need to do to, is really try to and what we are doing now and what the league are doing is they're saying go, you know, have a, 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 a recruitment program where you can go and you can go in the throughout the world. And you look at the places like South America where there's diamonds in the rough. And and look at bringing those players in at a lesser value, and then make them better or have them become better, and then all of a sudden you've got an asset. So it's the whole shift, the whole the whole um, thinking of the league has shifted from the time we got in to to now. And and I think players at, at younger. In Senye is coming to mm-hmm. to Toronto. It's probably not great timing for him to be coming to Toronto because I'm sure there's there's a lot of Italians that aren't quite happy with the team right now. But yeah, he's still True. going to be a very good player.
1: It's an exciting time, um, mm-hmm. um, and as much or more than we've uh, we've ever experienced in this country, because mm-hmm. uh, uh, this time we're not just going; we're going with some level of possibility and optimism mm-hmm. not of a championship but of some mm-hmm. level of success wow. and we can um, compete we we yeah. can compete i yeah. think i think that's what these guys have proven yeah um, and no. i don't think they're going to be afraid of anybody
3: no I, I don't think they will be either and again it's uh if we can if we can get there and in that first game you know uh, come out like we we left off uh, ideally in a couple of nights or tomorrow night against uh, Panama in Panama, then, and we hit the ground running I don't, I don't think there's any doubt that we can get results. It's uh, it, it will just be a question of um, uh, getting in there and, and getting used to, to the environment. And I mean, they're going to be playing in air conditioned, buildings it's
2: it's quite uh it's quite yeah. phenomenal no, we, 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 we 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 like the snow advantage bobby we uh, like yeah that. no no that's that's <laughs> a that's a disadvantage to us for sure I, yeah Plus. i don't
3: think
1: there's likely to be much snow in qatar <laughs> <laughs> um and get don't get to the building late because it may be torn down by the time you get there if you're a little <laughs> oh, late.
0: <yeah.
1: laughs> uh bobby thank you so much for taking time for us today it's um it really is an intriguing and an exciting time for canadian soccer fans and uh nobody better do relate to than uh, to you and your history. Thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you very much. Very much. Enjoyed it.
0: Available at HashiReview.com.
1: McCowan and Shannon back with you. Our thanks again to Bob
2: leonard for uh, joining us. We didn't, we didn't mention uh, 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 about the soccer. A million seven watched Sunday afternoon, Bob. A million so seven. I'm actually surprised it wasn't more than that, but well, that's a big number. It is. Well, that's an average over three hours too. Don't forget. So that's not necessarily what it peaked at.
1: No, and it was not exactly a close game. No, um, I would imagine many people said, "Okay, we've won and uh, moved on to something else," yeah. and maybe came back for the celebration. I hope they came back for the celebration because uh, it was it was long and it was serious. Yeah, uh, and I don't know how many times I've seen that drumbeat thing.
2: It doesn't get old. It doesn't get old, man. Doesn't get old, does it? No, you, you no, don't turn it old. off
1: in the middle. No, uh, we are uh, shocked and saddened today with the passing of Eugene Melnick. Um, the owner of the Ottawa Senators, um, the former CEO of BioVail, um, and someone who I have known for quite a few years, um, maybe a decade, and
2: um, um, but you would have, was it, were you not involved in, in, in that whole junior hockey thing at St. Mike's?
1: Yeah, but before him, but that's, uh, Eugene, gosh,
2: that's twenty-five years ago, Bob.
1: Yeah, but I did not know Eugene then. Um, Eugene, well we wound up, I was in a group with Dennis mills and others, and we got the team for the the school. And then the school decided to call on its alumni to help support the franchise, uh, financially. And Eugene ultimately, I guess bought it Mm -hmm. and then did move it to Mississauga and then sold that franchise too. But that was all after I was involved. Okay. So, um, I may have met Eugene back then, but I don't recall, um, so, but my relationship with him, I guess the real relationship dated back to, was it the all-star game in Ottawa?
2: Yes. I remember we were standing at the national convention center and Eugene drove up with and stood and talked to us for gosh, an hour and a half.
1: Yeah. That was the Sidney Crosby story. Right, that broke that week, and he—I remember—he was all over me trying to find out what I knew about it. And I said, "I'm not telling you because I'm going on air later on." Uh, and so that's—I I, don't—I don't think that was the first time we met. I know it wasn't, but it was the first time we we really interacted face to face. And then I got the opportunity to meet him uh, various times. I ran into him actually at Casino Rama once. Hmm. I walked in, and my casino host said, um, "There's a VIP in the in." the high rollers area, don't bother him. And I I just off the top of my head, I said, when Melnick's here, almost jokingly, and he kind of, his eyebrows raised, didn't say anything because he wasn't allowed to say Mm -hmm. who it was. And so I literally walked in there, a place that I was not familiar with. I walked in and there was Eugene sitting at a blackjack table with his back to me all by himself playing, I, I don't know, three, five, six hands. All at once. And Eugene didn't play for small money when he gambled. And uh, we wound up having a, 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 I knocked him, I tapped him on the shoulder and he gave me a hug and we, you know, went on to chat. And we had several social interactions um, up there and in various places. And I know there are Ottawa fans who hate the guy, mm-hmm. who think somehow he is responsible for everything that's wrong with hockey in Ottawa. But I don't see him that way. I never have. I've seen him as a nutty but passionate owner and fan who has crazy ideas. Uh, He called me, and I think I told you once when we were sitting on our favorite couch at the old place of a phone call I got from him the night before. The craziest idea I'd ever heard. He said, I got this idea. I think it's the savior of the franchise. I said, what is it? He said. I'm going to, from now on, I'm only going to have Canadian players. No, no European players, no American players. I'm not going to draft anybody from all all Canadians. What do you think? I said, are you out of your mind? Yeah. And he never did it, but it was, he was serious when he called, he literally called me at home with this, like 11 o'clock at night with this idea. Um, I'm going to miss him terribly. Uh, I'm sure you have a few stories.
2: Well, well uh, you know, I, I, I met Eugene when I was at the NHL, really. I knew of him. And uh, uh, when I was at MLSE, he tried to buy uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. He tried to buy the old gardens to put his junior team into. Yeah, I remember that. But, but, they, but, but the people at MLSE didn't trust him to, once he owned it, to put an NHL team in. And so it never happened. And so when he bought the Senators, and I, I, you're right about his passion about hockey. Uh, his passion about our country, Bob. Um, he, he was very, he was remarkable at that. I don't think the Ottawa Senators would exist today without Eugene Melnick. I think they would have moved. Uh, he was a stubborn coot about no. I've I've paid my money and and I'm going to keep this team. He wanted to win so badly. So the run in twenty what was it twenty nineteen when they went to the conference final was uh, was a remarkable one. Um, he. Did he? Did he get in his own way once in a while? Sure, he sure. got in his own. way. Sure, he did, but it wasn't for lack of trying. It wasn't for his lack of love of the game of hockey and the National Hockey League, uh, and all he wanted to do was win. Um, and it's e- it, what he learned, I think, in the in the end was it was e- it was easier to to win in business than it was in sports. But he loved sports, um, and by the way, I, I, I say this respectfully: is he loved going on the air with you. He he I mean even on the podcast I I would tell you right now we the night we put Eugene on this show on this podcast was in many ways a watershed moment for us because he was he was his typical self he did a, he told some great stories it was during the pandemic he had some opinions um and and it it got us some extra publicity and what it really told people was hey, McCowan's back mccowan's back and eugene did that and 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 eugene loved coming on i still i still have his notes i love coming on i listen every day that's what eugene did and he he was a huge he loved he loved the old show bob and you know because he lived in toronto he loved the old show um but eugene for all his faults and trust me he had faults it was it, it it came out of the love of passion of trying to make hockey better the senators better, uh, and people around him better. Sometimes it got a little frayed, um, but it wasn't for lack of trying. He's one of those guys you do miss, and you will miss. And senators fans are going to miss him. And our, the next story is not going to be, um, you know, what what's Eugene doing next. The next story is is how are we going to be able to keep the senators in Ottawa? That's going to be the next story, Bob.
1: There were many times when I wake up in the morning and see a story of something that Eugene did and I would cringe. Yeah. And go, oh my god, you know, and there were many times I called him and gave him shit for something he said or did. Um but at the end of the day I I love the guy. Um I was very very fond of him and um I'm go- I'm going to miss him um terribly. And I think you're right. I hope you're right, John. I hope Ottawa fans realize come to realize or recognize that all Eugene did was try. Yeah. And as hard as he could. It may not have been the way you would have wanted him to do it, but it wasn't he it was whatever mm-hmm. happened, it was not for lack of effort. On it was,
2: it's the life of an entrepreneur. That's what it is. It's the life of an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah. Um, rest in peace, Eugene Melnick. Uh,
2: For John Shannon, I'm Bob McCowan.
1: We'll uh, see you again tomorrow. Thanks for watching or listening. Goodbye, everybody.